pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your mercy and Your grace. We thank You for Your incredible welcome. We thank You for finding us and for seeking us out when we're lost and didn't even know we were lost. So we pray, God, for Your mercy and Your grace as we open up this most beloved chapter and ask, Lord, that You would speak to us afresh. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. All right, folks, we are... In Luke chapter 15, this is uh, E100 chapter 60. Wow. Luke 15 it is uh, the parable of the prodigal son. I am, uh, for those of you who were in church, that is what I preached on. I'm also teaching on it. It just kind of happened that way. But I will be uh, much more expansive. I, I, I held out some real nuggets. So, uh, uh, some real, real, it just... It, this is just the uh, the bonus, the VIP uh, section right here. You you get some, you get the extra gold. There's there's a lot of bronze and silver in the uh, in, in the sermon, so you're welcome to welcome to get that. But uh, gold here. All right. So the parable of the prodigal son is is obviously a very very well known, uh, just a really wonderful, beloved parable. But it really is is intended to be the third parable in a trilogy. Uh, it is uh, a very uh, helpful, I think, to under, to hear the prodigal son in the context of the other two parables in this chapter, uh, which is uh, the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. So what you essentially end up having is the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost brother. So they, they work really well uh, together. And in fact, it's the lost brothers. Um, so, the um, let, me, let me read, I'm going to read the whole chapter. I don't love always love being read to, so I'll, I'll do my best. I hope that you don't, uh, don't mind too much. Uh, and then we'll, we'll read the whole chapter, and then we'll start at the, at the top and work our way uh, all the way through. So Luke chapter 15, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Remember, eating was like the highest form of fellowship, which you have just experienced together right now, the highest and most wonderful form of fellowship. But this was, they couldn't believe that he would do that. And so, given that situation, he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you. Remember, he's talking to the Pharisees who are grumbling. Just so I tell you, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or, another parable coming. What woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, 
give me the share of the property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The father said to the servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother's come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he received him back safe and sound. But he was angry. And he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fattened calf for him? The father said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your son was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The Gospel of the Lord. Grace to you, Lord Christ. Thanks be to God. Alright, so the Pharisees are grumbling because these roughnecks, riffraff, are uh, coming to Jesus and, and probably they're, they're, the grumbling has more to do with the fact that Jesus is having anything to do with them than the fact that they're coming to Him. He is, um, he is welcoming them with open arms. He is uh, having this fellowship meal with them. He is uh, pouring Himself into them, availing Himself to them, and claiming to be holy at the same time. And the Pharisees knew that you could not have both. You could have, you could party, or you could be a Pharisee, but... Those two things didn't mix. If you were going to be a a Pharisee, you were not allowed to have fun. And so so they knew that 
um, I mean, they had a whole history of rule keeping. And, uh, and, and so when people who weren't keeping the rules were, uh, were coming to someone who claimed to be from God or to, to teach on God's behalf, they had a real problem with that. And you can understand it. Uh, you can understand it. Now maybe you uh, find yourself to be more like the riffraff and just glad to be here. And, and God bless you. I'm so glad you're here. Probably, my guess is most of us, and I can tell you uh, uh, the... Uh, that all, most of me uh, identifies with the, the Pharisees. Um, I, 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 am, I look more like I look like a Pharisee than I, I look like a tax collector. So, um, the, if, if the uh, I, I am, however, a sinner, but uh, neither here nor there. So, um, why have all the rules if they're not important anyway? See, the rules are a blessing. I mean, they, they are to keep us safe, they are to li- align us with God's character, uh, but they're, they're no good if there's no one there to follow them. And so, uh, so Jesus is actually totally upending what it means to have sin and what it means to, uh, what it means that there is, what, I guess, upending who God is and what it means to be righteous. Totally upending uh, all of those things. Because salvation, as we see, is, is not a matter of uh, of keeping the rules, salvation is a matter of relationship uh, with the Father. And it's easy to forget. I mean, it's easy to criticize those nasty Pharisees, but, you know, I are one. And so, uh, they are religious people like most of us. And so we need to take notice. When Jesus criticizes the religion of the religious, I mean, if you look at... Um, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is doing essentially the same thing. He, he is uh, challenging the religious people. And He's not saying, you're not reading your Bible enough. He's not saying, uh, you're not good enough. He's saying, your good is misplaced. Alright, so the, let's, let's look first at the parable of the lost sheep. It's interesting, again, He tells them this parable, He says, and so, given the grumbling and the, um, and the tax collectors coming to him, and so he tells them this parable, singular, so really all three, then he tells three, he doesn't say these parables, it's really meant to be one package, right? The first two give weight and authority and drama to the third. So if you've got a hundred sheep, which one of you is just... It, loses one, isn't going to leave the 99 and go after that lost sheep. Now, I've never been a shepherd, but it seems crazy to me to go after a lost sheep. you got 99 in the field. I mean, I would, my answer would be none, uh, no, none of you. I mean, why, why would you go um, and leave 99? Because, you know, sheep aren't very good at taking care of themselves. And that's why they need a shepherd. Uh, and so there is nothing, I feel like if you leave the 99 and go after the one, you're going to come back and you're going to have 99 lost sheep, right? You know, they're not. Um, and so what, it, what is the good of, of leaving the 99? Cut your losses. Not this shepherd. He's the good shepherd, remember? He's the good shepherd. Because he is concerned not just for the wool, but for the sheep. If, he was, if this shepherd was concerned just for what the sheep could give to him, he would just wait till the 99 made babies and he'd have more than amino. Just, again, cut his losses. Keep the wolves happy and away off over there. 
he is not. He, it almost be a good idea every now and then to leave a sheep off in the woods. You know, like just keep the wolves over there. You know, but but not this shepherd. He is. He is. Um, in fact, when he finds him, it doesn't actually ever say that he comes back and brings the sheep, the lost sheep, to the ninety-nine and says, "Look what I got." <laughs> he he actually he brings to his friends. And his neighbors. He, but he bears the weight of the sheep upon his own shoulders and carries the sheep home and rejoices because he found the sheep, not because he got the extra wool. So, that is the first parable. And he closes this parable by saying, Just so there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Which means that when you came to Christ, when your faith became your own, when you, and I don't know what you're, I mean, I don't, again, I don't know if you're more um, elder brother or more younger brother, uh, but when you either climbed out of the ditch or let him put you on his shoulders and carry you out of the ditch, or whether you just put down your resume of righteousness and, and allowed him to be your king, there was a party in heaven. There was rejoicing over you. He's not talking about someone off in the distance. In theory, there is a part. He was saying there is joy when a sinner repents. Joy in heaven. More joy in heaven over the repenting sinner than over the 99 who need no repentance. Now, let me ask you, who, who among you, uh, who have you ever met, not just 99, but have you ever met one person who is not in need of repentance? <laughs> I haven't. But I think what he's saying is that, I mean, there, are, there, is a, there is a sense in which the Pharisees had it together. I mean, they were following the rules. They were in church. They were doing what they needed to do. They didn't need to repent of their behavior. They didn't need to repent of their attitude and their judgmentalism and the fact that they had forgotten who they were once. But, nevertheless... This is no ordinary shepherd. And he is rejoicing over the finding of the one uh, who was lost. You know, it's really it's hard to imagine. I mean, it's hard to discern. Just If it was just this parable, it's hard to discern. If, is, is he really glad to have found the sheep? Is he glad for the sheep or is he glad for himself? Hard to tell. We, we can tell later. That's why, again, they need to come together. Parable of the lost coin. Short, a little bit shorter. What woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house diligently until she finds it? That's a little hard for us to relate to because you got coins in your couch, you got coins uh, you know, in the dryer. Uh, they're, they're not worth much, but this is probably her whole... <laughs> I just saw somebody eyeing uh, their spouse uh, knowingly. Um, but they... Um, hey, it might have been... My, is my spouse here? No, okay. Um, but this is like her whole life savings. And so it's hard for us to relate to. I mean, it'd be like if you, if you got a notice from your, your bank and, and they said, We've, I, I don't know really what happened. We lost a tenth of your, uh, of your savings account. 
um, be a bigger deal for some of us uh, than others of us. But um, but it, you know that'd be a big deal. You know you you would say, well, you find it for crying out loud, and that's what's going on. So she um, she's uh, lighting the lamp. She's sweeping out her house diligently because she is fi- she needs to find this coin. It doesn't, it's, you know, it doesn't say so she can eat that night. I mean, it seems like this is just something valuable that she's going to hold on to um, and have. This is sort of the rainy day fund, right? And when she finds it, she has a party. She invites her friends, and her friends go, wait, I didn't know you had ten coins. All right, you know, they, you know <laughs> I need some money. No, she, no it's, that's not the point, obviously. The point is there's rejoicing... Over the finding of what's lost. Now, what is what is the um, what does Jesus do? It's very subtle. The first parable, he compared the sinner to some dumb, wandering animal. You know, sheep are just stupid. They they um, they if they stay out in the rain, they'll just turn into this giant pup on. They can't walk. You know, they just they uh, they get weighed down. They just they just they're not smart animals. Um, and so the Pharisees are like, yeah, you stupid sheep. You know. Now Jesus has has is comparing the the sinner to something that that is of great worth, that is of value. And where the Pharisees may be scratching their head, well, why did that guy go after the sheep? Now they're saying, wait a second, you're saying that the sinners have value. We're the ones with value. We're the good ones. We're the shiny ones. And there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So we set this thing up. So lost sheep found sheep. Lost coin found coin. He says, there was a man who had two sons, the younger, you know the story, right? Father, give me the share of the property that's coming to me. He divided his property between the... When, when in this patriarchal society, they're hearing Jesus, they would have immediately been enraged by this request of this younger brother. Give him the inheritance. When do you get an inheritance? When, when they die. I mean, he's saying to me, you're dead to me. I don't really care about you. I want your stuff. And, but more amazing to them than the first part of this 12th verse... Father, give me the property that is coming to me. The more amazing would have been the second half that he did it. Because any self-respecting patriarch in, in that day, any uh, wealthy landowner, which it seems that this guy is, and again, it's just a story. Jesus is telling it. It didn't actually happen. But when he's telling uh, that, that he is now having to sell his land and take a lesser place in society... He's embarrassing himself by not just kicking this kid to the curb, either just by verbally or even physically. And and he takes for himself a lesser portion so that this selfish kid can have what he's asking for that incredibly disrespectful. It is unlikely that Jesus' hearers would have ever heard anything like this before. Um particularly i mean if if a kid did ask for that or something some something so egregious so so disrespectful uh, in this this patriarchal society that they would have probably heard of a, a kid who got 
cast out of the family or stoned or I don't know what. But, but for a father to liquidate his property would, be, would have been unheard of. So the young son gathers all that he has, which is now considerably more than he had a few weeks ago when he made the request, and he goes as far away as he can. He goes to, uh, you know, to, um, uh, to Seattle. <laughs> San Francisco, Las Vegas, uh, Thailand. You know, like he's, he's, he, he's as far... I can remember when I was in eighth grade, somebody... I don't remember why somebody asked me where I wanted to go to college when I was in eighth grade, but I said UCLA. Like, I was just, I could not imagine any college further away from home than UCLA. So that's where I wanted to go. I actually saw recently that, um, that it's the number one public uh, university in America, so I probably couldn't have gone to UCLA. But, um, but it was, um, but nevertheless, that's where I was headed. Uh, I'm glad I ended up where I ended up. But, um, I just wanted to go as far away as possible. I wanted to be this younger son. Now, I didn't have the guts. So I do have a prodigal son in me, but he's too chicken to do anything. So. <laughs> so he goes as far away as he can go. And there, what does he do? Of course, he just, he just spends it. You know, he throws a lot of parties uh, until he runs out of money. And then when he runs out of money, he runs out of friends. I mean, that's kind of what, what happens, right? They didn't... He didn't love his father for his father. He loved him for his stuff. The friends didn't love him for his, uh, his uh, self. They loved him for his parties. And he, so he hires himself out uh, in to citizens of that country. It's not a Jewish place. He's, he's um, slinging pig slop. Pigs. Now, again, the audi- Jesus' audience would have gone, oh my gosh. Because you know, pigs were, um, were not kosher animals. This was, you, didn't, you didn't do this. Um, you didn't have anything to do with pigs. That's why they're all shepherds. They're not pig herders or whatever you call it. So, um, and he's in, the, he's in the, the slop. He's in the pen and he's, he's, uh, he's longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. It must not have been a very good job. You know, like he couldn't go and buy bread. He's just, I mean, Jesus is painting this picture. He's in, there's a famine I mean, it's, it's all spiritual, right? I mean, it's just, it's, it is empty. It's void. He's as low as he could... I mean, Jesus couldn't have painted a lower picture than this. And again, just as, as Trent taught about in the sermon last week, he is, uh, Jesus was in a culture where people would have said, well, he's getting what he deserved, that God gave him this situation because of what he had done. It would have been scandalous that he would have said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go home. Dad will feed me. No, he will not. You've already gotten all that you, all, everything that you uh, had coming to you. There's, you've, you've burned that bridge, Buster. And so, um, and so he heads home. And he's, and he's preparing the speech. Oh, Father, I've, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Now, you can imagine, there's some variety of opinion on this. People say he came to his senses in the, I mean, that's what it says. I mean, he came to his senses uh, but is that where he had the change of heart? And some people say yes, and some people will say, no, I don't think so. I think he's hungry, and he knows he, I can take advantage of my, my, my naive father. Um, and, so, and, and some others would say, he's not saying I'm going to be a slave to my father. He's saying I'm, going to be, um, I'm asking my father to apprentice me to one of his contractors so that I can begin to pay him back. Because in, you know, in this society, if you've caused wrong, you have to make restitution. And so he's putting together a restitution plan. Maybe. Maybe. 
Uh, and I think you can you can even say, well, I'll pay it back because I know at least I'll get fed. I mean, he doesn't. I, I think he's still self-preserving. He's, he you can have you can have both of those things. He hadn't had the heart change yet. I don't think. Now, your story may be in such a sense that you've woken up at the bottom of a ditch, and that's where you had your conversion. And that's that's great. Maybe the kid did have his conversion there. So, um, but nevertheless, he's coming home, and his father sees him from a long way off, and. It doesn't say that the, fa- the son saw the father or he could see the house at a distance. Uh, I just, I get the impression that this was, um, he was still several mountain ranges away. And the father, because he represents the heavenly father, sees him exactly where he is and he runs to him. Now, if you've ever seen, oh gosh, is, I think it's Rembrandt's prodigal, right? And the, um, the Rembrandt has the father leaning over uh, the son, you can't see the son, you can only see his back, he's on his knees. And uh, Henry Nowen uh, wrote a beautiful book on the prodigal, and he, a, um, but he makes a point, he says, in Rembrandt's, there's a masculine hand and a feminine hand. You, can, you have to really be looking for it, it's kind of in the positioning, not really in the, the, the way it's, he's not wearing you know, red polish or anything, he's just, but he's just, um, because the thing is, is that chil- in that society, children ran... Uh, women might have run, you know, showed this kind of emotion, but not the patriarchs and the landowners. They were too dignified for that. This father is completely undignified, and he shows this. Uh, some of you are looking at that picture on your phones. That's great, um, or checking your text, which is not great. Um, the, uh, and, and the, uh, but there's this, there's this, um, there's this masculine sort of um, uh, protectiveness, and there's this feminine nurturing. In that, and I love that Rembrandt does that, this, this, um, because the father is, has come to him in this, in this really uh, unusual, scandalous way, uh, and, and has um, has lavished him with love. And so the the, fa- the son sets in on his uh, on his story, his his speech. Father's not having anything to do with it. He says, "Bring bring the finest robe." Well, who has the finest robe in the family? The father, right? It's the father's robe. Uh, put the family's signet ring on him, give him some sandals, and kill the fattened calf. Now, in that society, meat was a delicacy. Uh, you didn't have it every meal like, like we do. They didn't get eggs Benedict for, for breakfast. For, uh, you know, it, it was, um, they, got, uh, they got meat sparingly. And so the fatted calf, you wouldn't have just killed it for your family. It was too expensive. I mean, you're killing the fatted calf, you're... you're you're doing a, putting away in the next milk for the next 15 years. I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a big deal, and so um, this was very expensive in the long run, but it was worth it because the son was home. And I just because I, I'm more elder brother, it, it just it makes me a little crazy to say none of that stuff mattered because it did matter. Um, and I go over this in the sermon a little bit. I, you know, the things that have that weigh us down and, and cause us shame, we don't want to say that those things didn't matter. We just want to say you're fully forgiven. And that the Father will walk with you through whatever sort of restitution you need to make. You, your restitution isn't to Him. Because in the Father's eyes, you're, you're fully forgiven. Fully forgiven. So maybe that what has separated you from the Father is... is uh, is your own actions and your own selfishness. Maybe it was separated you from the Father. There's grief and a sense of why. And you're asking that question, why? Why has this happened to me? Uh, why would God not protect me? Why has this um, 
awful thing happened. But whatever it is, the father is holding on to the son saying, I'm not letting you go. Right? This is, you're, you're with me, and I'm with you. And, um, and, so we're, and we're going to celebrate our, our relationship. So there's joy. Even in the midst of the sorrow and the heartbreak and the past, there's joy and celebration. Now, the elder brother comes in. He hadn't heard anything about what's happened. And he hears music and dancing. He pulls out his um, planner and he looks at it and goes, you know, uh, and, and there, there's nothing in the schedule of, about this. He, um, he, he, he's done everything right. This is the, you know, I want my boys to be like this, you know, this, um, this son in the sense that I want them to work hard. I want them to uh, be good to their parents. I want them to, to be um, ethical. I want them to follow the rules. I mean, we get on them a lot for not following the rules, right? I got to be careful with that, don't I? About maintaining and always the most important thing is the relationship. I don't create little Pharisees. Um, you're laughing, but it's true. <laughs> Unless you're saying, you will. Um, now, um, so he, you know, so he just stamps his foot and has a little tantrum out there. I can't believe that the father would would have him back. Now, see, the thing is, now that the younger son is gone, actually, when the father says, "All that I have is yours," he means it, because now that that um, the punk brother's out of the way, he it literally is all his. the The father divided the the, the elder brother was to get. Um, a double portion. So he would have gotten two-thirds of the inheritance, and this son would have got younger son would have gotten one-third. But now the young son's out of the way. Everything left is here. If, they, if he's been gone a while, they built back up their land, maybe bought it back, or it's all his. And now the younger uh, your brother's going to get his third again? Uh-uh. Uh-uh. This is not fair. That's the mantra of the elder brother. That's not fair. I want justice. He totally disrespects his father. His father runs runs to him the same way he ran to the uh, to the elder to the younger brother, and he pleads with him, "Come into the party." And he's not doing it. He doesn't say, "Oh, father." He says, "Look, you, you never gave me so much as a goat." Which I imagine the father's like, "You never asked for a goat." I mean, I was, you tend the goats, not me. You could have taken one in time. But he says, "You never gave me a goat to celebrate with my friends." Uh, but when this son of yours who came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you fat kill the fattened calf for him. Hold on a second. You just came to the fields. You didn't know any of this was going on. You hadn't heard the story. How did you know he squandered it all with prostitutes? He knew, and he didn't do anything about it? He's the elder brother. Didn't he have a responsibility to protect the family name? Didn't he have, wouldn't he have gone, had some responsibility to his younger brother? He knew, but he didn't do anything about it. And so, the parable ends. We've got a lost sheep, found sheep. Lost coin, found coin. Lost brother, found brother. Lost brother, what happens? 
the elder brother is lost. He's just, his heart is just as distant from the father as the younger brother was. And we see that there are actually two ways to rebel against God. One is by being very bad, and one is by being very good. In um, Flannery O'Connor's novel, Wise Blood, there's a character named Hazel Motes. And Hazel, there's this awesome line that says, Hazel Motes knew that the best way to avoid Jesus was to avoid sin. If you avoid sin, what do you need Jesus for? And that was the elder brother. His heart is just is separated. He's, all he can think about is himself. He does, has not been working for the Father. He's been working for himself. Uh, I, probably, I know I've told this story several times. Charles Spurgeon tells the story. In fact, I think I told it on Friday to our Bible study. But, um, we're the, the carrot farmer grows the biggest, most amazing carrot that he's ever grown, and he takes it to the king and says, you're a good and gracious and wise and wonderful king. This is the biggest and best carrot that I've ever grown, and I want you to have it. And he bows and he turns to go, and the king says, says, well, well, hold on just a second. I actually own the piece of property right next to yours. You can do far more with it than I can. Please take this this property. It's going to triple the size of your lands, and, and just go and do what you do so well. King, thank you so much. I'll do my very best. Well, off in the side is a horse farmer thinking, good gracious, if he gets that for a carrot, what would I give if I gave him a horse? So the next day he comes in with a carrot and just this giant, gorgeous war horse. Oh, my king, you're a good and gracious king, the greatest king that there's ever been. May you live uh, for a thousand years and have uh, a thousand lands. This is the greatest the most gallant horse that I've ever raised, and I want you to have it. And he bows and turns to go, but he's looking over his shoulder. <laughs> and the king says, come here. He says, yes. He says, you're just giving me that horse because you were in here yesterday and saw the carrot. He was giving me the carrot. You were giving yourself the horse. So thank you very much for the horse. Get out. All right. So, um, so, um, and that's what the, that's the elder brother. If I do what I'm doing, I want to be patted on the back. If I give you a gift, there better be a thank you note. Oh, he's meddling now. So, um, and the father treats them both the same. They run. He sees him where he is. Runs out to him. Comes out with open arms. But the parable ends, and the brother, as far as we know, is still outside the tent. See, the younger brother, his sin is easy to spot, isn't it? He could even see it himself. There's nobody who wouldn't sit, sit, look at the younger brother and say, that's a problem. But the elder brother's sin is much harder to spot. He, he's blind to it. He can't see it himself. Others would have lauded him and patted him on the back and lifted him up as a model citizen. And yet he cannot see that his heart is separate from the Father. He's just mad at the Father because the Father owes him. And the question then comes back to these two crowds, and especially to the Pharisees. Are you going to come into the party? That's the question. Are you going to be upset that these people who have wandered off are coming back to God because they're not following the rules, hadn't taken a bath in a while, they smell funny, or are you going 
Are you going to be happy that they come in? Or are you going to go, ugh, and walk off? That's the, that's the question. And hopefully, they come around. In fact, we see uh, every now and then, we'll see a Pharisee who comes to Jesus. And many of those who came to Christ were uh, uh, initially in Acts were, were Jews. Of course. They, 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 were, they, they wanted to, they believed Jesus was the Messiah. And, and yet there was still a great controversy. If you look in Acts 15, there was a great controversy over um, who gets to be a Christian. Do you have to keep the law? Because our hearts want the law. Our hearts want the rules. We can control things that way. Can't control the love of God. It's incredibly, incredibly lavish. All right. We've got just a minute or two. Uh, yes, Jill. Every single one of those characters that's lost uh-huh. has either no ability to understand their value, no comprehension, Okay. or has a misguided idea of their value based on some other way of thinking. Okay. And if I can think of myself as God lavishly loves me, mm-hmm. All of those stories make sense. Yes, yes, indeed. You see yourself from the perspective of the Father, not from the perspective of what the world tells you about yourself. You're just a sheep. You're good for your wool. You're worth about a tenth of everything else. You know, whatever it is. I mean, but so yes, you're right. That's the whole key to this, and the whole key to open our heart to love those who need loving on is to see that we have been loved on by our Father. To accept the love first. Absolutely. Thank you for. As it was unconditional. Thank you for bringing up that point. That is really very important. Yes, Katie. The other thing is noticing the progression that the sheep kind of wandered through no fault of its own. That's just what the sheep do. Yes, that's right. The, the coin was no fault. It just got lost. They roll. You know, that's and what they, they do. Yeah. And, and got lost. Uh-huh. But I think the third one is so important because it shows no matter in what way you reject God, He is waiting there with yes. open arms for you. That's right. So no one can be truly lost. At the very least, you're always home, right? Home, the door's always open, right? Yes, Tom. I love what you said in the sermon that applies to the older brother and also the Pharisees. They weaponized their goodness. Yeah. That's an easy trap to fall. It is, isn't it? It is. Dr. Dixon, you got any insight that you'd like to share with us? This is uh, Bethany Dixon's father, who will be our Wednesday uh, speaker. The Clarence Jordan, who wrote the Cotton Patch Gospels back in the 50s, early 60s, when he talks about this parable of the older brother, when it gets to the brother, brother accusing the younger brother of wasting the money on prostitutes, uh, uh, Jordan says, "Jesus didn't. Or nobody said anything about prostitutes. Mm. That's what the uh, that's what the older brother would have done <laughs> if he had." Uh, <laughs> That was his own fantasy, right? It was his own he, fantasy. He didn't live it out. Mm-hmm. He's a chicken. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I know. Listen, the best book that I've ever read on the prodigal son is called The Prodigal God. The word prodigal means lavish and wasteful. And so it's by Timothy Keller. And I've read it enough times that the jacket has wasted away. But the. Um, the, so his point is that the one, the one who's really lavish is God. 
So I always thought prodigal meant lost, but it means it means wasteful, you know, lavish. Folks, we've got to go to church, and uh, you'll hear get more get more of the same. So uh, you had a what's that? Oh, yeah. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thank you.